Welcome to the CTO Connection Podcast. I'm Peter Bell, and every couple of weeks, I'll be sharing interviews with top engineering leaders. And today I'm talking with Stacey Garlick, the Director of Engineering of Flatiron Health. Stacey, thanks so much for taking the time to chat today. Hi, Peter. It's very nice to talk to you today as well. Great. So to dig into your career, I believe you started off at Carnegie Mellon with a, a BS in computer science and biology. That's correct. Um, I started off with actually two different degrees. I've started off in biology, pursued that for a little bit before realizing that I really enjoy technology too much as well. And so I've started kind of doing both over the period of time. It took me a little while to figure out what I actually like better or worse. I've done a few internships over the period of college that, that really crystallized for me that the technology and computer science specifically has that immediate feedback that some of the research and academic environments and biology was offering me do not. And hence sort of like the technology outweighed eventually. And that pushed me into uh, that track. Nice. So it looks like you were writing code for a number of years before you kind of started to move into formal engineering management. How did you think about that transition when you're like, hey, I'm this really great software developer. Let me go stop writing software and start managing people. What was it that drove that decision for you? It wasn't really my decision, (laughs) uh, to be honest with you. I found myself, like many engineers actually, being sort of pushed into that role a little bit by my manager who said, hey, we have this new team forming and we don't have a lead for it. Why don't you try it out? And I've actually had that point several times in my career where um, I've been sort of presented with that opportunity and sometimes with no way to really get out of that opportunity. And the first time that happened, I really didn't actually enjoy that experience. I was not set up very well by my manager to uh, do this. The role itself was a little bit ambiguous. There wasn't a ton of support built around it. And I got a little bit scarred by the experience. So when I moved on to a new job, I've seeked that individual contributor role again and spent quite a bit of time within it, really hoping to not be pushed into management again and not be pushed into the uh, leadership role. But when uh, the second time when that sort of occurred, it actually was a completely different setup. It was a completely different team, completely different role and a support system built around it that actually made me feel like, yes, I can do my work and be happy doing and be impactful and be a good, successful manager to people as well. So it's a big change when you go from shipping code to like looking at the end of the week and a series of meetings and saying, what did I accomplish this week? Uh, For you, what was it that was attractive about being in an engineering management role? Well, I think initially when I first moved into that role, I was still shaping code to a certain extent. But I think what I found that gradually over time, a lot of the things that I was doing on the team were, first of all, moving away from the critical path of the team because you're busy, you're in meetings and everywhere else. So the code that you're shipping, you're actually shipping sort of the smaller bits and pieces that are on the outskirts as opposed to within the main line of it. And secondly, a lot of what you're starting to do is you're starting to really support the team. Like you're doing those like small infrastructure components that you don't want other people to bother breaking context for and starting to do, as well as what you're doing around the management portion of the team too, is you're really kind of forming this supporting net for the team. You're understanding like how can I 
ensure that they can be the most productive and the most effective that they can be? And what are the busy, terrible things that I can take off of their plates onto my plate to get them to do this? And I think that component of, of really being at service of my team has definitely excited me very much initially about it. And then as I kind of moved on within that role a little bit further, it's that aspect of really being able to drive the strategy of the team, really being able to be in the right conversations at the right time and, and having the time and the freedom to do that was the other part that, that was really making me feel like I'm not just in meetings all day, that I'm actually producing something that may not be as tangible as a hundred or a thousand lines of code, but is still making my team and my company move forward within a specific deliverable. Absolutely. Did, did you notice any specific changes when you moved from a title perspective from engineering manager to engineering director? How did the responsibilities and focus for you change? Absolutely. And I think once again, like in technology, your title very frequently lags your responsibilities. Even in the earlier stages, when you go from a associate engineer to an engineer, from engineer to a senior engineer, et cetera, chances are you're already doing something for some period of time before that gets recognized with a title and before you actually get officially moved into that role. So similarly for me, moving from an engineering manager to a director, what has started happening is that I've started participating a lot more in overall thinking about the health of the greater engineering organization, the culture within the greater engineering organization, the assurance of cross-functional communication across the whole organization, and, and spending more and more time looking at these aspects and trying to bring about positive change within the organization, within these aspects, until it kind of formulated into now I'm no longer taking care of just the teams that I'm responsible for and a day-to-day within those teams, but actually taking what I have learned in that process and bringing it to serve the greater engineering organization. And I think that's sort of like the, that next step that then eventually got translated into the title. Absolutely. Now, when you think about bringing people onto your team, how do you, what do you look for in an engineering manager or leader? That's a very good question. I think sometimes it depends on a role that you're trying to fill because an engineering manager in one team is not necessarily equivalent to an engineering manager on another team. Very frequently, the scope of what they do will differ based on the team, the types of projects that the team does, et cetera, et cetera. So there's going to be some engineering leaders that you're looking for are more technical, while others you're looking for a very skilled people manager first and sort of the technical part second. Um, but I think that some of the generic qualities that will span across multiple shapes of engineering managers, I would say, would be things that align very much with what my team's values are and what my company's values are. And, and those are around being able to um, seek and provide feedback effectively, being proactive and being skilled and knowledgeable around how to communicate with other people and influence other people, having 
ability to know when to and how to delegate tasks to your team members and do so effectively without uh, overburdening them with, with sort of like a daily micromanagement type of things. Those, those generally to me would apply to all of the types of engineering managers. And then additionally, a lot of times for me, when I'm evaluating engineering manager, I'm kind of thinking, is this going to be a good partner to me? Is this somebody who I foresee solving the problems for my team with together? And I think that sometimes it's only visible through one-on-one interview, but sometimes it's actually visible through somebody's LinkedIn profile and seeing like, what has this person done? What are their passions? How they've applied themselves outside of work or inside of their work that would very clearly signify to me like, hey, this is going to be the person that I look forward to solving problems with. Nice. Now, at the New York CTO Summit late last year, you gave a talk about growing a platform team. Could you talk a little bit about why you gave that talk and some of the insights that you shared in the presentation? Absolutely. The uh, talk was brought on by my current experience at Flatiron. Uh, I was brought into Flatiron a couple of years ago to really, as a company started moving from startup to scale mode, to uh, start thinking about what it means to introduce some of the common platform components that the whole company can benefit from as sort of like the foundation for our uh, technical products. And uh, as I started thinking through the talk, I've actually given this talk um, at some other conferences as well with a different focus points. As I started thinking about this talk, one thing that has crystallized to me is that there's many layers and many components to growing different platform teams. And what I thought was important in the message that I thought was important for the uh, CTO Summit specifically, the message that has crystallized for me that a lot of building blocks of building a successful team are keyed on specifically communication. And it's internal communication within the team and it's external communication of how you position the team It's the cadence of that communication. It's the ability to deliver the right type of message to the right type of people. And I think that a lot of it, kind of where I started with the talk was more about, well, how do you set up on call appropriately? And how do you get all of the right pieces in place? And when I came out of the talk, I was thinking about more of like, what's my team's communication API? And how frequently do they talk to their stakeholders, and what are the types of things that the team should be internally communicating to each other. And that was a little bit surprising, but I think that for the audience within the CTO Summit, that was the right message to bring. And and that makes sense. It, It almost seems to me that when you're looking for the secret source, people often start with programming. And then it's like, yeah, but then we build the wrong thing, so it's product. Then they're like, yeah, but I need to align many people, so it's process. And then at the end of the day, it actually really just turns out to be about the people. Not that the other elements aren't important, but if you can't get the right people in the room pointing in the right direction, it's very hard to achieve anything at scale. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And as we look at actually evolution of how we develop software over time too, the level at which 
we, not necessarily the level, but the size of the building blocks is changing over time. We started, you know, many, many years ago, writing in zeros and ones, uh, kind of moved on to assembly code where they were still very, very low level commands. Then already sort of during my college years and, and my early experience, moved on to sort of more higher level programming languages that allowed us to still very close to the basics kind of programming systems. And as we move further and further, as we have more and more libraries, more and more components, more and more things that we rely on uh, at our disposal, our job really becomes more about understanding what which of these building blocks we're putting together and then ensuring that we have the right glue around it and the glue around it is the people and is the process and less so of the code itself. Definitely. As you think about the people that you bring onto your team, and I'm sure you delegate a lot of the hiring decisions, but what are the key things you look for in an engineer in an organization that you're building and managing? That's a very loaded question. I think it's probably even harder than the uh, what are the things for you're looking for in an engineering manager, particularly because engineers are all sort of these unique individuals uh, that bring in a variety of different skills to the table. I think uh, what I'm looking for, let's say, in a junior engineer who is just fresh out of school, it would be their interest in specifically types of things that we're building and their ability to learn more, first and foremost, their ability to take feedback, their ability to listen to the team and, and learn from the team. As we kind of move higher into the years of experience that that engineer has had, I'm looking for some spikes in that engineer. I'm looking for, well, in your last three, five, 10, 15 years of experience, what is it that you've developed that make you so unique and valuable to me? And that's where I think each person brings a very different thing to the table. Some bring a depth of experience within a specific area. Some bring in a breadth of expertise, like this is a person that you're going to be able to drop in anywhere and they're going to solve every single problem for you. Some bring those excellent communication and stakeholder management skills that we were talking about just in the earlier question, while others are able to bring in a very specific technical knowledge that your team is potentially lacking or looking to learn from. So, so it's, it, it, it's sort of like, I guess, earlier on in your career, ability to learn and ability to grow with our team is the most important thing. And later in the careers, that that specific spike that will make you unique and interesting to me. Great. When you think of learning and development, how do you think about that? How do engineers both keep up to speed with the, the technologies and platforms as they evolve and potentially make the shift if you need to use new languages or new tools? How do you think about supporting that within an, an organization? That is a very good question because I think that that's most organizations where I've been in that's sort of on the forefront and on the mind on our mind. And I don't know if we are actually doing a great job at it all the time. I think there's a lot of resources right now that are available to us. And that's great because everybody has such a different learning style. 
everybody needs a support, a learning support specifically in different ways. I've had engineers who are very successful in taking like a Coursera course and really coming out of that with the new developed expertise, while others really just need to dive in, tinker, and have potentially somebody on hand who can answer the most difficult question for them around a specific technology. Keeping up to date in general, as opposed to like learning a specific skill for a specific type of task, is much more difficult question to tackle. Trying to keep lists of conferences, talks, there's just such a wide variety right now in trying to keep that in mind and that available for your engineering organization is important. Refreshing it is, is sort of like a task on its own. That's actually something that I've been really putting on a back burner for the last three or four months as, I, as, I, as I've been focused on a lot of other things in my day job. One of the key things is providing engineers with easy access, sort of like low barrier access to all of these materials and curating them in some way so that you're not kind of feeding them with a whole bunch of junk. And that requires time and effort. So that's something that I've put on a back burner for a little bit, but I want to kind of bring it back to me is keeping a fresh list of like, hey, here's some of the ongoing conferences. Here's the reviews that we've had from people within the company who've gone to these conferences. Here's what they've taken out of it. Renewing that list, ensuring that that it's on the forefront and on the minds of people when they're kind of thinking about what, what's the next thing to do. Similarly with online resources and books and whatever else is continuously seeking feedback on these things from other people. So ensuring that like, hey, if somebody within my org has read a book that they felt has been very relevant and very interesting, making sure that it bubbles up back to the engineering body with that review. Because otherwise it's just, the problem is not that we ha- don't have enough resources to keep us up to date. The problem is the amount of resources that we have and really just kind of distilling it and curating it and ensuring that we do provide a more manageable subset of these resources for people to continuously keep up to date in. How do you manage that internal curation and, and bubbling up? Do you, do you, is it just a Slack channel? Is there a wiki? What, what are the logistics of actually ensuring that that wisdom gets shared within and amongst teams? I've tried it in various ways in the past. It helps to have some sort of a wiki that you're keeping up to date. And managing that through crowdsourcing is a lot easier than trying to manage this on your own. One of the things that um, I thought was pretty successful in the past is our conference policy has included updating the uh, specific resources once you've gone to a conference, for example, with a rating, with the notes and link to the notes and uh, with a recommendation as to whether or not this conference should be bubbled up to the top or left off of our lists as a part of going to the conference or like it's your payment to the rest of the organization that you uh, submit. So that was kind of successful. Slack channels definitely work for like letting people know like, hey, this is happening. This is going on. I think that Slack channel as a sort of long-term, long-lived kind of history thing doesn't always work very effectively. So having a document to kind of reference things back to definitely does work a little bit better. 
And quite frequently, it's also word of mouth that just kind of happens to be like if you take if you tell your tech leads and they, they tell their reports and their reports will go on and tell somebody else that that kind of helps. Too. I know that you presented at the last CTO summit in December in New York. What was your experience of that and, and what did you like about being there? So this was my first time presenting at the CTO Summit. It wasn't my first time attending. Uh, so I can kind of have a bo- both sides of the story a little bit. I think what I really enjoyed about presenting at the CTO Summit was the openness of the audience and the fact that presenting to this audience, it is not just you talking at them. It's you really starting a conversation. You bringing in a topic and starting the conversation with like these 200 people who have tons more experience and tons more exposure than you do, potentially to even the topic that you were talking to them about, who then in the hallway after your talk or even, you know, in the questions immediately after will question and prod and bring their ideas. And it just sort of becomes a longer conversation. And, and quite honestly, for me, that conversation is still continuing in some of the LinkedIn threads and, and follow-up coffees that I've had with people coming out of the CTO assignment. It's really for me to, sh- and that was actually surprising part of it for me too. Like I thought I'm going to bring in a topic that I've lived through and I'm going to share this experience with people and they're going to benefit from it. I completely did not expect to gain benefit from bringing this conversation. And I think that in the future, if I want to come and bring a conversation, a talk to the CTO Summit, I actually want to bring a topic where I know nothing about and make that a conversation starter, like bring a burning problem that I'm trying to solve and then see, can I crowdsource within this group of people a solution to this topic. So that was that's the presenting part of the answer. The attending CTO summit is is similar in a lot of ways. It's, it's like meet up on steroids in a way that the people who are in the audience are the people who you want to strike a connection with to pick their brain on various topics. And what I find the talks at the CTO Summit to be are really just the key, like, hey, here's what you might want to talk to these people about when you're hanging out in the breaks in the hallway. So for me, the CTO Summit, like, I, yeah, the, the talks are great. They're interesting. They, they, they really are well curated and well thought through. At the same time, the hallway track is what you're really there for. That's amazing. Stacy. thanks so much for taking the time to speak today. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's, it's been a great conversation. Thank you, Peter. This episode was produced by the amazing team over at Dante32, a podcast production agency focusing on content strategy, audio production, and distribution. Check them out at Dante32.com. And if you'd like to receive new episodes as they're published, please subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps others to find the show. Thank you.